Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. My guest today is Seth Porges, who has written for Maxim, uh, Popular Mechanics. What else? Everybody. 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 Everyone for everybody. Forbes. Uh, and yet... Despite that prestigious resume, the subject of today's episode is water parks. And not just any water park. We're going to be talking about a specific water park in New Jersey, Action Park. But before we get to that, let me just give you a quick welcome, Seth. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. Thanks for being here. So for those of you that... Glad we got that out of the way. For those of you that don't know, for those of you that aren't from New Jersey, Action Park is somewhat legendary for... Their complete lack of safety and oversight. The, the non-safety record, we call it. And a while ago, I saw uh, Seth was giving a speech about Action Park, and I was not able to make it, but I made a mental note, and I was like, we got to get that guy on the show. We got to talk about Action Park with him. Now he is here. What qualifies you to be an Action Park uh, speaker, to be on the show right now? Well, I went to Action Park as a kid. My parents were some of the perhaps millions of parents who were you know, Ill, ill-advisedly decided to bring their children. Instead of the Disney World, instead of Six Flags, they said, we're going to take them somewhere where, you know what, um, maybe we won't have to worry about them ever again after this. And so they brought me to Action Park, and I just remembered Action Park. I remembered it, and it was stuck in my head. And over the years, I, whenever I could, I would, I would write about Action Park and give lectures about Action Park, because it's one of those things that is parked in this part of the brain of everybody who ever lived within 300 miles of the place. And, you know, nothing really qualifies me other than that. That's fair. I mean, yeah. nothing qualifies me to host this show. Yeah. Were you from New Jersey? No, I actually grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. But my father was from New Jersey, and I think they were advertising all over the East Coast. So my parents, based on these ads that market as this family-friendly fun spot, decided to bring us there. I grew up near Action Park. And I n- always knew that it was dangerous, but I guess I just always assumed there was one of those everywhere because it was just by me. But I don't think that's the case. I think Action Park is very unique. Action Park is an utter anomaly. It, there's nothing else like it, and there will never be, again, anything like this. So I figured a great way to organize this episode would be to go through the Action Park Wikipedia page. Let's do this. Because Action Park is one of my favorite pages on Wikipedia. It is the best page in the entirety of Wikipedia. And there are a lot of pages, at least like 30 of them, on Wikipedia. It is number one. If you have ever listened to this show, you know what a statement it is that I am saying <laughs> this is my favorite page on Wikipedia. It's incredible. And uh, I'm just going to read through it. And, you know, we'll, go, we'll kind of talk about it ride by ride and the problems. Uh, according to Wikipedia, the park's popularity went hand in hand with a reputation for poorly designed unsafe rides inattentive underage employees, intoxicated unprepared visitors, and the consequently poor safety record. So a lot to unpack there. First of all, intoxicated visitors at a water park? Okay, so Action Park sold beer. And they didn't just sell beer. They sold beer and they didn't ID anybody, including the park employees. So you would have 13-year-old kids working the park, or however old they were, um, 13-year-old kids going to the park, and everybody was drinking beer and a lot of beer. And it might have been the only place in the region where these kids could buy beer, so they went to Action Park to buy beer and drink beer. Now, Schlitterbahn, are you familiar with Schlitterbahn? No. Schlitterbahn in Austin, I believe, was voted the country's best water park. I'd be surprised if there's a better one. It is incredible. And they sell beer, and they seem to get along just fine. It was something about... The not carding, and I don't imagine Schlitterbahn sells beer to the employees. Well, I don't know if they were selling it to employees, but employees were certainly uh, dipping into their own stash, may have been the case. And uh, poorly designed, unsafe rides. What? A, who? How did this happen? Who allowed this? Okay, so the thing about Action Park is asking like who allowed it, who's in charge. There was nobody in charge in Action Park. It was utter anarchy. And about the rides, so Action Park, there was a lot of legends to this day about the engineering credentials of the people who designed those rides. I think that says a lot. Just that there's legends about it. That <laughs> we're still separating facts from fiction. How many things can you say that about? There is so over the years, the the legend of Action Park has grown to the point where, to some degree, it is very difficult to separate fact from fiction because the fact is scarier than anything you could ever imagine. And sort of the, the rumors and legends about the park designers at Action Park is that they were not qualified to actually make rides, and they would kind of throw things out there. And in the day, in, in, in the canon of water parks, Action Park was kind of an early park. So a lot of the you know tropes and techniques that have been worked out over the years, the kinks, if you will, that were worked out in water parks, they hadn't quite been worked out when Action Park came on the scene. And so they were kind of throwing crap against the wall. And so you'd have sort of variations on rides that would find themselves into – 
just about every water park, but with a twist. So you'd have that that classic, almost straight down, super speed slide. You have it every single water park on Earth. But the one in Action Park was just a little this bit. This one of those tall, yes. just vertical slides. The vertical, straight down, yeah, last you 10 have that seconds. In every water park. Every single water park. You get water up your butt. Exactly. But the one in Action Park was maybe three times as high. And the angle was such that they had to have a net in the first 30 or so feet because the gravity would literally make you fall off of the ride. In addition, it was infamous. Yes, water up your butt. It, it was kind of known as, a, as an enema giver. Um, the one in Action Park, there was, uh, at my talk, I played this clip from an episode of Headbangers Ball on MTV, which Allison Chains had just ridden a ride and were commenting on the fact that they all just got enemas. Let's play that clip now. Hanging out with guys from Allison Chains. We just encountered the speed slide. Found out what it feels like to go 60 miles an hour down seven stories. And what did you think about the speed slide? I'm feeling kind of juicy right now. <laughs> it, um, it puts more uh, fluids through your system. That's a, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say it. What would you say? I'd say my fig is puckered right now. Just Headbangers Ball at Action Park in the first place, I think, says a lot about how metal this was as a water park. It was very metal. I remember when I went there as a kid that that slide uh, had a sign that said you had to be 100 pounds to ride it. Because I think otherwise, uh, there wasn't enough gravity. I'm probably not describing physics even remotely correctly. But you needed to weigh enough that you, you know, stayed on the slide and didn't jump straight out. It's very likely. There was there was all these things. So you would have just variations on rides. So you'd have... Bump, you'd have a uh, go karts, and every there are go karts everywhere at every crappy tourist attraction, you know, pit stop in this country. But the go karts at Action Park were just a little bit different. They were very fast. In addition to being very fast and very big, they had this uh, thing in them. Like the, the employees discovered, if you jammed a tennis ball in just the right spot, they could disable the governing system that kept these things from going 50, 55 miles per hour. So the employees, always looking for a laugh, would jam a tennis ball into the rides, and then you would have these go karts going around. At 50, 50 miles per hour. While That's pe- not a go-kart anymore. That's just a car. <laughs> a car. And they're drunk. And everybody's drunk and crashing into each other because at Action Park – okay, so the, the main thing about Action Park is that people went to Action Park to be in danger. As I, as I have said before, the you know when you go to a place, you have an expectation of the setting, and a setting kind of dictates how you act. You act amongst your environment. When there's chaos around you, you act chaotically. And so Action Park is a place that people went to because it was chaos, because it was anarchy, and because it was not opportunity for them to act chaotically and with anarchy. And so people went there to push themselves to the limit, and they sometimes got hurt. Isn't that true of any theme park, though? You know, you go to a roller coaster for the thrill, right? Well, okay, so... You go in a, when you're typically in a roller coaster. It's it's a uh, passive experience. You you sit in, you strap in, you enjoy the ride. Action Park had this thing in which the creators of the park called participation rides, and it's kind of scary that they actually call it this. It's a participation ride, and the whole idea was that you, as the rider, were an active participant in the ride, and basically the idea was you you can choose your own adventure. You can change your fate. You can get up from that ride while it's going and risking the decapitate. You can do whatever you want. It was kind of this like libertarian dream park, this idea of whatever happens, it's your fault, but you can have a really good time doing it. That sounds pretty fun. I, even knowing that how dangerous it was, that people died there, which isn't funny at all, uh, that still sounds pretty fun. You're, you're kind of selling me on it as we talk now. And that's why people went. And that's why everybody who remembers it, they remember how dangerous it was. They remember how everybody died. But they also remember how freaking fun it was. When I was there as a kid, uh, the thing that really sticks out in my mind is one ride. I don't know if it was clear from the, the way I use my voice there, but I'm putting quotes around the word ride. One ride was just a cliff you jumped off yeah, of. That it was... was- 20 feet up, maybe? It was It was more than that, I think. It, it it's was, hard to tell because I was a kid. So when yeah. I was a kid, it was 100 feet Everything up. Everything seemed big. It went 20, 50 feet, whatever. It's a cliff you jump off. It is a cliff you so jump you off. So you wait in line like it's a real ride, and then you just jump off the cliff. But I do remember, uh, the reason it sticks out so much in my mind is jumping off that cliff was probably the highlight of that summer. Like, I felt so, <laughs> the rush, I, I can still remember it. I felt... I felt like I had done something, you know, and that's not something you can get on a roller coaster. Well, and in this cliff, if you look at the Wikipedia page in particular, it points this out, is sort of notorious because it wasn't just a cliff into some closed off pool where you would slightly swim away. It was a cliff into an active swimming pool with no signs pointing out to the people swimming below that people from above were about to jump onto them. And there were frequently collisions from people who happened to be swimming below and the people who were jumping from 30 feet onto them. I want to, before we move on from the go-karts, which we already did, but I did want to note that in addition to the head-on collisions, uh, Wikipedia notes that 
The engineer, the engines were poorly maintained, and some riders were overcome by gasoline fumes as they drove. So even if you manage to avoid crashing head on to something, there's a gas that's gonna get you. Like there's just nothing you can do. No, no, it wasn't like these rides had one thing wrong with them. Most rides at Action Park had about a half dozen things wrong with them. I mean. So let's just kind of take this ride by ride. Here's a big one, the Alpine Slide. Yes. Now, Alpine Slides uh, exist in a – that's not an action park invention. They exist, I think, primarily in ski resorts. Yeah. Uh, you know, something to do during the summer if you go out west, I think. Yeah, and mountains. they're all over the world. They're in Switzerland and mm-hmm. the Alps. They're in oh, Germany. yeah, they probably have yeah. there, too. <laughs> it's, I think it was probably like a Swiss or German invention. They call it something different out there. And the idea is – They just you, call it a slide. They call it a slide. Um, and you take it down. But the problem with – So what, what is an Alpine Slide? Okay, so you basically get in a sled-like contraption, and you go down a concrete fiberglass composite track down a hill. So it's like a bobsled, but yes. the, the tube is pure concrete yes. and fiberglass yeah. just mixed in there for fun. And and the way the sled works is you just keep going. In order to brake yourself, you pull in a brake, which basically makes this metal bar have contact with the concrete ground below you, which slows you down. So not even really brakes so much no. as metal rubbing against the concrete beneath you. I remember riding this guy. And the thing I remember about this one is that uh, right before you went on, you know, they're explaining how the cart works and they're saying, and make sure you don't go too fast or this will happen to you. When they say this, they quickly flip over a picture like when you're in driver's ed in high school of someone who was completely mangled on the ride. Okay, yes, this this existed. There were. But you're in a theme park. It's supposed to be fun. Like, why are you seeing these grotesque images at this, at a park where you're an amusement park? Let's say Disney would never put up with this. But um, no, they, they literally had these like grotesque. Grotesque driver's ed esque images of mangled bodies. Um, I was asking my, you know, I was very young, so I asked my parents about this to make sure I had accurately remembered this. And my mother described it as like dismembered arms. And it was, it was, everybody remembers this. And this, this ride, that wasn't the worst of this ride. The worst part about this ride was that Action Park, as we said, was a water park. And so when you're at a water park, you're wearing a bikini, you're maybe not wearing a shirt. And when you fall on a concrete fiberglass composite track and you're wearing normal clothes, you can walk away, not too much damage. When you skid down one of these things, in a bikini without any shirt on, you were losing your skin and you were losing all of your skin. Wikipedia notes that the slide led to the first fatality at the park, a head injury suffered in 1980 by an employee whose sled ran off the track. This is an employee. He theoretically knows what he's doing. He then fell down a large embankment and his head on a rock. Hay bales at the curves were meant to cushion the impact. Uh, those who sled jumped the track, but did not always do so yeah. effectively. According to state <laughs> records, in the years before 1984 and 1985, the Alpine slide produced 14 fractures and 26 head injuries. Okay, so the, the, yes, um, the hay bales, they do nothing. But the um, in addition to this, you know, in order to go to the top of the hill, you would take a ski lift. There was a ski resort off-season. They used a ski lift for this. And I remember, and maybe you remember too, very vividly going up, seeing just the wreckage of collapsed and wrecked sleds from from rides past scattered all across the thing and looking down and just seeing people get hurt you're going up and you're excited because you're like i'm that's not gonna happen to me i'm, I'm better than that you know mm-hmm. and then there was the other problem and that is as wikipedia points out and everybody remembers these sleds were not maintained well and so uh, you know you basically had two situations you had sleds in which the brakes didn't work at all. Keep in mind, the brakes are a piece of metal that rubs yes. against the concrete yes. that's flying underneath you. Exactly. So you have brakes in which they did not work at all, or ones in which the brakes didn't work at all, or ones in which the brakes were jammed into place. And you have a one-lane ride in which these two forces are going on at the same time. Something's going to happen. So people are slowing down. Some people are going fast. Yeah. And there's no time to slow down. I mean, this is a downhill thing. And if you're zooming down and your brakes aren't working properly, you're going to hit that person in front of you. So how do they do it in the Alpine and in Wyoming and wherever else they have these? They um, First of all, they're, you're not wearing a bikini. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a sled that is probably checked and maintained. And you have attentive, sober employees. It seems like at some point they might have said, hey, why don't we give these people helmets? They did actually do that. So after Action Park, and the, you know, this is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but Action Park, uh, ahead and helmet, get it. Um, at, at, when Action Park finally shut down, it was purchased by another company. It turned it into a water park, which it actually remains today, called, I think, like Mountain Creek. Water. It is Mountain Creek. Mountain I've, Creek. I've been uh, as recently as, not, if not last summer, two summers ago. So when Mountain Creek took over, they, they closed on all the fun rides. You know, none, of, mm. none of the good rides were there. But they kept the Alpine Slides for one season. And that one season you were there, they made you wear a helmet. Uh, I was there um, the one year where it was Mountain Creek and the Alpine Slide was still open when I was a camp counselor. And I remember one of the other counselors 
uh, fell off and like took all the skin off the bottom half of his leg. It was yeah. terrible, and like he was injured for the rest of the summer. Yeah. There you go. And, and you know what? I'll start But I'll tell you what. If there was an alpine slide outside this building right now, I would totally, do it. I would totally go on it. First even, of even after having this conversation, I would go on pretty much any of these rides right now. Oh, my God. Of course. And it, like just looking back, like you know, this world today where everything's padded, you, you yearn for the excitement and thrill of maybe not walking away. All right. Let's talk about some of these uh, other rides they had here. This is the land vehicle section. We covered the go-karts. There are also the Lola cars, open cockpit race cars. Not that many uh, injuries here, uh, but uh, apparently after there was a microbrewery that opened nearby, employees would go after hours and take these open cockpit race cars out on Route 94. Yes, and this is you know this is one of those ones I haven't quite been able to 100% verify. I saw some Wikipedia too. This is one of those ones which I sort of leaving up to legend, but I wouldn't doubt it. Everything on Wikipedia is accurate, isn't it? Of course. Uh, okay. The tank ride was one where you drove around in tanks and shot tennis balls at each other. This one was apparently only dangerous to the employees. Yes, you know, so uh, you know, if you were an employee, and this, this was apparently the worst ride to work on, the and that is saying a lot for Action Park, I might add. Um, if there was something going on, a malfunction, something to be retrieved, it was basically this enclosed pen in which tanks would shoot air cannon tennis balls at each other, and then surrounding the pen. Uh, People passing by could put a couple quarters into their own cannon and shoot at the tanks as well. Like in Bomberman, when you die and you get to throw bombers, bombs at the people that are still playing. Absolutely. Just everything comes back to Bomberman, doesn't it? Um, but the employees, they had to go in and retrieve things, fix things. And basically, it was like this high-octane version of Shoot the Freak when they would enter the pen. And people would just turn their cannon fire on the poor 16-year-old, probably intoxicated employee, who just wanted to pick up somebody's necklace they lost or retrieve something or do something and they would just get fired at and these 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 yahoo crowds would just cheer them on and probably for like six dollars an hour yes for six dollars an hour uh the bumper boats how could bumper boats go wrong? Well, they weren't bumper boats is the thing. They were motor boats. They uh, literally, maybe you're looking at a different right here, but there no, were. No, I think, I think this is it. Okay, good. They're, they were motor boats. They, I remember this one. I couldn't ride because they actually had you actually had to be like 16 or have a driver's license in order to ride this, I remember, and I was like nine. But they gave you a motor boat, like a full-fledged motor boat, and then you just drove it around a pond in circles. But the problem was, of course, that... Even if you were 16, uh, you may not be at the maturity level not to realize that motorboats are not bumper boats and should not be smacked into each other. In addition, the pond these things would drive around was known to be infested by snakes. This is like a Saw movie. <laughs> there's, there's snakes, too? There's, yeah. It's, it's like a giant, yeah. There's venomous. If, if you manage to survive the ride, there are venomous predators yeah. out to get you. It, it's Yeah, this this seems like a job for like Ocean's 14 here, getting out of here. But um, no, and, and the employees themselves have to sort of stand in the island in the middle of this pond and the snakes would oftentimes congregate there so the employees would kind of play this game of dodge a snake while making sure that when the inevitable collisions occur people didn't actually die there were i'm sorry i was confused that were that was the speedboats there were also bumper boats okay they were also dangerous yes uh notoriously difficult to maneuver so much so that the employees who worked there in 1990s were reduced to shouting Skidava, squeeze the wheeze, and other nonsense. I don't totally get that. <laughs> it made no difference because riders can neither understand instructions above the din of the noisy engines nor control the skittering boats in any events. And, of course, this pond also infected with snakes. Of course. Uh, and at least one rider required medical attention uh, because the engines leaked gasoline and too much got under his skin. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going we're gonna to save this. this we got to save this one for last, the, yeah. the big one. The wave pool. Lots okay. of parks have wave pool. People survive. Yes. What did Action Park do differently? Well, actually, you know, if you're going to die at a water park, it's probably going to be at a wave pool. This yeah. is where the vast majority of water park, maybe not the majority, but the plurality of, of water park deaths everywhere occur. The wave pool. Wave pools are notoriously pretty dangerous places. Action Park's wave pool was another level. Most people who died at Action Park died at the wave pool, and that is saying something, considering the place we're talking about here. Problem with Action Park's wave pool is that it was understaffed. Everybody was totally rowdy. You could not tell if somebody was horse playing or drowning. In addition... Because it's a wave pool. It's a little chaotic to begin with. Absolutely. But the real problem was just a simple choice they made. They decide, you know, most wave pools will be like waves for five minutes and then calm for 30. You know, you don't really have that many yeah. waves. Yeah, what's that sad about? Yeah, that? Yeah. that always got to bother well, me. Well, this is what it's about, is when you have waves for 20 minutes and then calm for five minutes, it's really hard to deal with the deal with it. And then people die. And so, and also the wave pool, it was just really, really crowded and people would jam in there and the lifeguards were scattered around, really couldn't see what was going on. 
Uh, even those that could swim well, this is Wikipedia I'm reading, even those who could swim well did not realize that the waves as freshwater were not as buoyant as their ocean counterparts, and they sometimes exhausted themselves doing more swimming than they were ready for, causing patrons to crowd the side ladders as the wave began, leading to many accidents. You know, trampling. It's kind of like Walmart on Black Friday getting out of there. They also note that uh, 12 lifeguards were on duty on all time, like you said, and on high-traffic weekends, they were known to rescue as many as 30 people compared to the one or two that an average lifeguard might make in a typical season at a yeah. pool or lake. For six bucks an hour. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I remember, like, I was never a lifeguard, but I remember when my friends were lifeguards. And lifeguards are, like, 16, 17, 18-year-old yeah. uh, people that, you know, uh, know how to rescue people, but probably shouldn't be put in that situation 30 times a weekend. Exactly, exactly. Pretty soon, they're the ones who need rescuing. How many people, I'm afraid to ask because we're having fun, but do you know how many people died in the wave pool? I want to say either four or six or something like in that neighborhood. Also, 30 feet is way too deep for a wave pool. Was the wave pool 30 feet deep? I don't, that doesn't sound right. Uh, one second. There were other things that were 30 feet deep. You have big slides that'll let you off into 30 foot water, but I don't think the wave pool was 30 feet. Uh, it was nicknamed the grave pool. It was 100 feet by 200 feet and could hold 500 to 1,000 people. 500 to 1,000 people, 12. 16-year-old, probably intoxicated employees dealing with it. Going back to nicknames, though, Action Park, of course, had a, its own share of nicknames. My, my parents used to call it Accident Park, but it was also Traction That's Park. That's what my parents yeah. called it, yeah. So it was Accident Park, Traction Park, Class, Class Action, Action Park, Park, and then That's a good one. Death Park. Uh, what, let's talk about the kayak experience. Oh, God. After the second visitor death in the park's history in 1982 occurred in this ride, it was closed permanently. Yeah. It was an imitation whitewater course that submerged electric fans to agitate the water above <laughs> Frequently, the kayaks got stuck and tipped over, and people had to get out and remedy the situation. Everybody knows what could go wrong. Electricity and water mix really well together. Um, yeah, the, uh, the death that occurred there was uh, like a loose electrical wire in the water, and when somebody fell out, they like hit it and died. When I started researching, I just assumed most of the deaths were drowning, maybe hitting their head. It's incredible the variety of ways people died. I, I feel bad laughing at it. But it really is like a Saw movie. Like They're all kind of different. Snakes, gasoline getting under your skin. It's like a season of Six Feet Under here. The Tarzan swing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that's still there. And it's, again... You can see this with a lot of these rides. This exists. There are Tarzan yeah. swings. They did not invent the Tarzan swing. No, but so the Tarzan swing was you would just take a rope and swing and then scream and maybe do a flip or some maneuver and land into a big pool of water. The problem with the Tarzan swing is that the water you landed in was fed by a natural spring, which made it extremely cold. This one I remember in particular had a warning sign. It said, warning, water is 30 feet deep. And this is one of the rides where the water was 30 feet deep and ice cold. It was so cold that somebody did die on this when they went into like cardiac arrest after touching the freezing water. Yeah, it does say in 1984, one man died from a heart attack after experiencing the swing. It didn't occur to me that it might be because of the freezing water. It was I thought, because of the freezing water. All right, I was, I was ready to- it was so awesome. I was ready to say like, <laughs> that one's probably not their fault. You can't- like, it sounds like this place was built on ancient Indian burial ground. Just like things they can't control are happening. All of New Jersey is. The Roaring Rapids, this was a standard raft-based whitewater ride. Reports that the park filed with the state in 1984 noted fractured femurs, collarbones, and noses, dislocated knees and shoulders. This attraction is still open. Yes. So the one thing, I think it's different now, but I remember this was on like, the, you had to go up this massive, like basically a ski slope in order to go down this thing. But there was, you had to walk up carrying this massive raft. Which is standard for water parks. Definitely. It's definitely. No. Um, but uh, one thing I actually vividly remember, this is neither here nor there, or is that the color of the water on this ride was... Magenta yellow? I don't know. The color mm. windows like Crayola ones are like J. Crew colors. It isn't quite advertised very much. It was it was it was pretty uh not not that pleasant. I also remember somebody on this ride wearing a uh, remember that movie and like SNL skit Coneheads? Like wearing sure. a rubber coneheads hat. That, re that really dates the yeah, park. Yeah. So I remember that very vividly. I uh I think I've been on this one. If it's still open, I'm sure I went on it. And I think the thing about it is that it's a little more wild than your standard it's a tube ride. Wild. The rapids are a little rapid. You know, there are some people, believe it or not, who uh, just don't go to water parks because they think they're disgusting. <laughs> what? I'd, no. I think it's crazy. I it's like the water only bath parks. I get all year. <laughs> I like water parks. I think more than roller coasters. And I've already done a roller coaster episode of this show. Yeah. So you know I love, and that was like episode like twelve or something. So I love me some roller coasters. But I think water parks are more fun. And I think a part of it is that participate participatory element that you yeah. mentioned where like you know you have a degree of control yeah and you, you know there there's no like harnesses and, and water parks you're just yeah. going down there you're just flying you're just flying all right let's keep moving here surf hill 
this ride, common to other water parks at the time, allowed patrons to slide down a water slick sloped surface on mats into small puddles until they reached a foam barrier oh, after yeah. an upslide at the end. What is this one about? So I remember to deal with this one. I don't think this was a dangerous ride. I think it was more that just everybody lost their bikini top on this one. <laughs> this is, they got everything at Action yeah. Park. Yeah, it, it does say that the employees would gather around yeah. and like watch it like it was a show. Yeah, that that I, I believe. So I guess if you're too busy watching that going on, maybe you might miss the, the real tragedies occurring around you. Uh, what else? The Colorado River Ride is one that is still there and is still kind of dangerous, as I recall. Uh, the Colorado River Ride is... A, uh, it's one with big circular rafts. It's okay. one of those ones where like a family could go on at yeah. once if the family was crazy. And uh, the, you go down a river. But the thing about it is, is that uh, and I, this is another one I remember going on when I was really young. And maybe my memory of it is making it bigger than it was. But I remember the walls, like people just being vertical on it. <laughs> you know, uh, like the, the rafts going so sideways that people could fall out. And in fact, when I went on it as a camp counselor... One of the campers uh, fell out of the raft. Yeah, I actually fell out of the raft in this. I remember, and I remember I, getting stuck underneath the raft and actually being quite terrified <laughs> for a couple minutes. And the, yeah, and you just have to go down the rest. Did you get back on the raft? I don't remember. I think somebody grabbed me and pulled me back on. This kid just had to go down the rest of the thing like it was a water slide. Yeah. But was it meant? It was meant to, you were supposed to be in a raft. Yeah, I was a great camp counselor. Uh, the diving cliffs. We already talked about that. <laughs> the sole lifeguard on duty had his hands full dealing with the results of those collisions. Non-swimmers would jump off the cliff, fully, not fully appreciating how deep the water was below and have to be rescued. Former employee Tom Ferguson says the bottom of the pool was eventually painted white to make it easier to spot any bodies on the bottom. <laughs> Obviously. Oh, my God. Uh, what about the aqua scoot? Which was the aqua scoot? The aqua scoot. I'm so I'm sorry just to be reading so much from Wikipedia. You I don't know. usually do this, but this Wikipedia page is so it's good. It's yeah. art. Yeah. The Aqua Scoot was a ride where the patron was placed on a solid plastic sled and pushed down a steep slide made of assembly line rollers. It led to a, I guess something in like the x-ray machine for your luggage at the airport. It led to a very shallow pool, which was no deeper than a couple of feet at the deepest end. And the idea was the sled would allow the rider to skip across the water like a skipping stone. Riders were expected to hold themselves. <laughs> riders were expected to is never a great start. Riders were expected to hold themselves in an upright and centered position while their sled descended. Otherwise, they risked injury. Most common injury in the aqua scoot, not the only injury, just the most common <laughs> yeah. injury, was head lacerations, often the result of the riders not remaining centered on their raft and being flung face first into the shallow water. So all these rides, variety of ways to get hurt, but the most legendary ride at Action Park. Yes. And uh, I do- Before we get to this, okay. one more. Okay. So one more thing I want to mention is there was this other ride, I remember, there are a couple, you know, every theme park has those bonus attractions that cost a couple extra bucks, like mm-hmm. bungee jumping, things like yeah, that. Yeah, or the- uh, the thing where you're in like a, you're in a metal ball and they kind of throw you yeah. up like a sling, or this thing where they, you you're in a sling and like they lift you up and then you kind of yeah, swing on exactly. it. Exactly. So the one they had here was a skydiving simulator. Again, a common tourist trap at every place. My brother actually does. They put you in like a parachute suit and you're suspended about five feet above a massive fan, right? But at Action Park, I remember the employees working this ride. Had fat. This is not a Wikipedia page. This is just from my head, so it could be a little distorted. But the employees working there had made them. They weren't using the parachute suit. They had actually made a wingsuit out of the foam boards used in some of the water slides. And so they had this wingsuit. And normally you're like a five or six foot hover. When they turned on the wingsuit thing, this is so it's in this building. It's like a donut with a hole in the top. They were literally flying 30, 40 feet in the air. Remember? Oh my god! So you're like hovering, like. I remember from outside, you could see bodies pop up through the donut hole on the top of this building, and it was—I was flabbergasted. But only employees did it; they wouldn't let us do that, unfortunately. So, I don't think I ever went on that. Though I've been actually skydiving since, and it sounds like actually jumping out of a plane might be safer than going to Action Park. <laughs> Probably the big one. Yes. The really—if there's anything. Obviously, if if your water park had one ride that killed people, that would be bad. Yes. But Action Park obviously had a variety, but the one that really represents Action Park was the water slide that went in a loop. Yeah. This was real? This really happened? This is real. This... I've seen pictures of it. Okay, so there are- But did people go down it? Okay, so this water slide was only open for a short period of time, for much longer than it's actually open. It was only open to the public for about a one-month period in 1985. The rest of the time, employees would go down it. And I visited, I remember seeing employees go down it. And the rumor was, according to Wikipedia and all these other places, that employees were given $100 bills to act as human guinea pigs. Also, the rumor was that test dummies that went down would come out this mess 
dismembered, losing heads, all that other good stuff. Couple things about this ride. Now look online, you can see photos of the ride itself. The shape of the loop, it's a perfect circle. Usually when you have a roller coaster that goes in a loop, you have a corkscrew or you have a teardrop. And the reason for that is basic engineering principles dictate that you want to dissipate those G-forces before you hit the circle or else you're going to break your back. Now, whoever designed this may not have had this engineering know-how in, the, in their mind. And so they decided to make a perfect circle because that's what you do. It's a perfect circle. And so people would come out of it with massive massive back injuries just people were hurt after coming out of this thing because whoever designed this just shaped the loop wrong other thing about this ride it didn't end in a pool it ended in a mat so you would come out and you would skid across this rubber mat why instead of a pool Uh, maybe save a couple bucks i don't know Um, (laughs) pools are expensive other thing about this ride is somebody actually got stuck in it and when they first built this thing there was no hatch to remove people get stuck in a water slide so you need to build up enough force going down to make it all the way over the loop. You don't build up enough force, you're not going over that loop. But it's not like a roller coaster where I'm stuck. Can you just crawl over the down part and come back down? And not if you're fat. I see. <laughs> I don't know. Like so, Homer Simpson? Yeah. So the rumor was when I was there, everybody said that it wasn't open to the public because some fat guy got stuck. I don't know if person actually was overweight or not but somebody did get stuck and after the person got stuck they did install a hatch to remove people from it which is probably a, a good idea now if you think about the physics of somebody getting stuck in a water slide that goes into a loop is if they get stuck and they block the water from passing through the water is just going to build up right. and they will be in a tube and they will drown so was the water shot all the way around? Like yes. the water's doing a loop too? That seems yeah. like you need a lot of pressure. Well, so before you would go on this, they, this is the one that they actually were very strict about following safety protocols because the downside was so high. And they would actually make you spray you down with a lot of water and were really strict about making sure you're in proper position just to increase the chances of you successfully making it through. Now, the thing that really strikes me about this ride is that for this was only open about one month, but for years they were sending employees down, they were testing this thing out, they were making modifications to it, they were building hatches into it. And that tells me one thing, and that says that somebody at this park really, really, really wanted this thing to work. And maybe, maybe they're thinking to themselves, if we can get this thing to work, we have one. You know, if we mm-hmm. can get the looping water slide to work, every other water park in the world will have to shut down because we will be the water park with the looping water slide. That's true. You mentioned that you think the guy just didn't design the loop right, but I'm going to speculate that based on the fact that there's no other looping water slides even 20 years later, that maybe uh, that just wasn't meant to be. Well, there actually is. In Germany, there is. Oh, yes, what? But it is not dangerous because it is a corkscrew. So you can, oh, so it's a corkscrew, <laughs> not a loop to loop. Yes. Exactly. That's still pretty cool. It is. It is. But it looks much safer. So it, I'm trying to picture it. So you go upside down. You do go upside down. Yes. Wow. That sounds really cool. Yeah. At Schlitterbahn, um, which is really a great water park, and they have a lot of, uh, kind of like Action Park, they have a lot of traditional rides, but with a twist. But unlike Action Park, that twist isn't deadly. Yes. Um, they have a water slide there. I think it's the most popular ride in the park called Master Blaster, and it goes up. Oh. There's like oh. jets that like shoot you up. Wow. It's pretty cool. And they also uh, have that same technology on this one um, that's like dragon themed. It's kind of medieval themed. Kind of like a, a roller coaster. Sometimes they have a theme and a yeah. loose plot line. I've never seen that before in a water park. <laughs> they have one of those. And it's the same thing where they have the jets that shoot you, but you're horizontal, so you're just going fast. But they need, I think water parks need that where you're in line and they have some video of like Doc Brown telling you how he right. needs you to come along and save the future. That's what the dragon yeah. one's like. There's like a dra- warning, loose dragon. Yeah. I'm like, all right, sounds good. And you're like, you're knee deep in water. Yeah. And I guess at the end, you're supposed to be like riding the dragon or something. Or Yeah. <laughs> you know? So... Is there was there a difference in oversight because Action Park was a water park as compared to a roller coaster park? Because there's no roller coaster equivalent of this. If a roller coaster killed people, it'd be shut down immediately. I assume. Well, even if a water park, well, or the ride itself would either be. You know, oftentimes people do die in rides and they are not totally shut down. They just kind of find what. Well, went it's wrong gonna and, it's gonna happen. I mean, yeah. like just. It's just statistically, it's going to happen. Well, there was the period there was no oversight this park. It was. But here's the pattern. Like, yes. like it, it could just happen by luck or whatever, but like this is a, obviously a pattern of a, 
egregious safety oversights. Yeah. And obviously everybody knew about it. Like we remember. I knew about it. I yeah. was like seven years old. You better believe like somebody at the New Jersey State House knew about this too. But the thing about it was it was bringing tourists and money and all that good stuff to Vernon, New Jersey, which really honestly didn't have that much else to bring tourists and money to town. It also, you know, this I was told, like, so the the injury rates themselves are actually greatly underreported because they had a very sophisticated kind of paramedic first aid set up on campus at the park. So in order to make it to the hospital, you need to be in like serious, serious trouble. So they can just kind of sweep it under the rug, take care of it themselves for the most part. In addition, they would give the state or the county or whatever ambulances. And this does two things. One is it helps them deal with the injuries they're creating, but it also kind of served as an underhanded payoff to kind of say, you know, not quite a bribe, but it's a donation that kind of allows them to turn the other head. And the hospital nearby, they loved the park. Loved it or hated it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were certainly getting a lot of business from it. That's for sure. The other thing um, that... I've seen senior speech online that I heard you mention in the speech was that they had their own insurance company. Okay, so this is one of those things I was told by somebody who had done a lot of research into it. I have not independently verified a lot of these things, and this was not on the Wikipedia page. But what I was told was that they had actually set up their own insurance holding company um, because what you know, honest insurance company would ever insure this park, right? Right. So they created their own insurance company, I was told, and basically that allowed them to operate legally. But the thing about insurance is that if you have one client, you're not an insurance company. The way yeah. insurance works is it's it's a pool of shared risk and somebody gets hurt and everybody else pays for him who doesn't get hurt. But if you have one person who you're covering, that's not an insurance company. It's some dude handing himself money. Have you been to Mountain Creek since it reopened? No, but I would love to go. I've been and uh, despite what we just talked about, it's a pretty good water park. Yeah. Uh, they still have the cliff to jump off of. I still love doing they that. Do. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they're ve- there's like someone at the cliff and you can't jump until the other person's completely out of the oh, way. Oh, man, that's not fun. I know. Well, <laughs> it is a little less fun. And yeah. I, as serious and as dangerous as this is, I, I wish I could go back in time and visit this yeah. place in some sort of a hot tub time machine-like situation. For sure, for sure. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. They still have that Canyon River one. Still yeah. pretty dangerous. It does feel a little more wild than your average park, but uh, than your average water park, but still totally safe. And I would recommend going. I think it's very fun. Do they serve beer? Uh, no, they do not, as far as I know. But, like, I don't know. Like, I like drinking, but I don't know if I want to get drunk at the water park. I feel like uh, the feeling of being on a water yeah. slide would completely overwhelm any chemicals I could put in my body. Well, now that you're over 16, there's a I places, love drinking. Drink I love beer. drinking. <laughs> don't get me let me, wrong. Let me put that out there. <laughs> yeah. Huge drinker. But, uh, yeah, it just seems like... Being on a water slide should be yeah. the dominant feeling in my body. I, I usually show up with one of those fake bellies that's full, like actually a bladder full of beer in them. But that doesn't work at the water park. No, it makes you more buoyant. It's better. At <laughs> Schlitterbahn, the system is you can buy a uh, bracelet of, and they have like tear off tickets on the bracelet. Oh, wow. So you leave your wallet in the locker and you get on that lazy river and there's a bar and you just tear off a ticket, get a beer and just chill in the lazy river. I like that. Schlitterbahn is a ama- Mountain Creek's fun if I'm here in New York, but if I'm in Austin, Schlitterbahn. <laughs> Paid for by Schlitterbahn. <laughs> Can't re- I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, something else we got to talk about yeah. besides Action Park is that you are a pinball enthusiast. Yeah, so um, not, not so much for the game, but more about the history. It's another thing I give I give talks on silly topics a lot. Um, I've given a number of talks. I'm giving one this Friday, but by the time this airs, it probably will have passed. On the history of it pinball. It will have passed. Yeah, yeah, so on the history of pinball. And pinball history is super weird because... The thing was illegal in most of the country for more than three decades, and almost nobody knows this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just illegal. It was seriously illegal. It was illegal until the 1970s. Many people listening to this were probably alive when pinball was illegal. And it's one of those weird chapters in American history. It involves all these celebrities, all these politicians, all these cities and characters and faces that we all know about and hear about. And they were a big part of the story, but absolutely nobody knows this. Wasn't there a situation when it finally did become legal where the thing was, the reason it was illegal was that people thought it was for gambling. Yes, exactly. So, and, okay, yeah. you, you tell it. I don't okay, know. Okay, so, so it was considered to be a game of chance, not skill, and thus gambling was the logic. And what really happened was it was kind of right after Prohibition. This was in like the early 30s when the sort of anti pinball groundswell first started occurring. And it was a lot of the same people involved with the Prohibition movement then turned their sights on pinball. So you had like the Women's Christian Temperance Union, these little old ladies who basically started the Prohibition movement. The movement, they then moved to pinball and in the Chicago suburbs where they were based, they actually started these vigilante mobs with big axes that would roam through country clubs in the Chicago suburbs smashing pinball machines. 
And isn't the way they became legal that uh, there was someone, I think this happened in New York, yeah. to demonstrate that it was a game of skill? There was this guy, you probably know the name. Yeah, yeah. So what happened was uh, pinball had been illegal in New York City from 1942 until 1976. And the way it was finally overturned, the ban was finally overturned, was that a guy who was actually a, a magazine editor, he was 26 years old, his name was Roger Sharp. And he was kind of known as a very good pinball player, but also sort of an impartial pinball now, player. Now, how could he be a very good pinball player if pinball was illegal? Well, he actually told me that every day on his way to work, he... Uh, so if you wanted to play pinball in New York, it didn't quite disappear from the city. It just kind of went underground. So you had to kind of know like which porno shops to go into and which curtains to pull back right. to find hidden pinball machines. And he said that there was a porn shop on his way to work that he would pass by every day and play. And it became quite good. So he was known as a very good pinball player. And so when it became time to uh, you know, look at the ban, the, the pinball industry had finally earned a hearing at city council for the first time in decades. And this was their one chance. And what their strategy was, was the prove that it was a game of skill not chance and thus should be legal because the logic behind the ban was was null and void so they brought in this great pinball player who's going to demonstrate his pinball skill in city council so they brought in a pinball machine and he actually played pinball in city council and he's just great photos of these like stodgy gray-haired city councilmen gathered around a pinball machine and what his strategy was was he was going to call his shots like i'm going to hit the ball to the left hits the ball to the left he's going to hit the ball to the right hits the ball to the right so he does this but people are kind of unimpressed or like no big deal. So he does this one move, which to this day, he compares to Babe Ruth calling his famous shot in center field. And he pulls back the plunger and he says, I'm going to make the ball, based on my skill alone, the ball go down the middle lane at the top of the playing field. So he pulls it back. The ball bounces at the left, bounces to the right, goes right where he said it was, almost on the spot. City council votes to overturn the ban. That is amazing. It's just so 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 much like a movie. Exactly. You can make this up. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. And here I am, and I just played the new Rolling Stones pinball game. Yeah. It's still legal today. It is legal today. Well, most places actually still illegal in a couple of small localities. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if there were people in the 70s, like there are people today who were like, legalize pot, man. There's no reason it should be legal. <laughs> we're like pinball man it's not gambling and everyone's like all right whatever let it go let it go well because it had been illegal for so long in the consciousness of the minds of so many people it was associated with illegality with rebelliousness with outlawry so if you look at any media or movies from basically until the 70s and then beyond by directors who knew what they were doing pinball was a stand in like a metaphor for being a badass or a rebel so you look at these movies have like gangs of teenagers roaming the streets and playing pinball or like the fawns be playing pinball and it was a shorthand used to show viewers that this person is a rebel this person is a badass and it happened all the time in movies and there's some really great examples of this but um, some modern directors actually do this today just kind of as a wink to the past like Richard Linklater every single movie he has I think without exception has a pinball scene in it with this purpose give me an example uh, Days and Confused they go to the Emporium where they're all the rebels the stoners are playing pinball hmm. uh, you have an example you got me one other thing I gotta ask you about I'll never be able to ask anyone else this yes. ever you are the subject of a Wesley Willis song. I am a subject of a okay. Wesley Willis song. <laughs> Let's quickly explain who Wesley Willis was. Yeah. He was a uh, schizophrenic, right? He, he was schizophrenic, schizophrenic yeah. musician. Musician. Very prolific. Very prolific. And his songs are somewhat stream of consciousness, I would say. They're, they are. They're somewhat formulaic, too. He was this great man, a really awesome dude. He's, he's now uh, since deceased. But uh, he was a musician and street artist in Chicago who um, his music was basically songs about the world around him, his schizophrenia that he was dealing with, and lots and lots of songs about people he knew and friends of his. And so having a song by Wesley Willis puts me in a company of about a thousand other people. But, <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I will yeah. get another one. But how did that come about? Um, you know, when I was younger, I was uh, pretty good friends with him. I you know, lived in Chicago for a while, and everybody in Chicago knew Wesley. And uh, he just wrote songs about people he knew. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And it was on an album that came out in, I guess, like 2000. And so, um, you know, I guess I'll always have that. What was the song about? What does he say about you? Um, you i probably send you a copy of it if you want to play it on this I thing. would love to play a copy <laughs> yeah. of it because let me tell you, I looked for it online and I could not find oh, it. Oh, he has so many albums, most of which are out of print, that um, I, I i don't think that thing made it onto Soul Seeker Napster in today. But I, um, I'll send you it to you. Yeah. We are definitely going to play it. You are my friend to the max. You have a friend in the mix. You have a friend from Bapmaster Maryland. I like you a lot like Cool Whip. Self Porches. Self Porches. Self Porches. Self Porches. I mean, what was he like? 
he was awesome. And, you know, a lot of people thought his whole deal was kind of an act, but he was totally the real deal. He was totally crazy, but he was a really sweet dude, really, really nice caring person who was just wanting to talk to everybody he met, everybody he ever came into contact with. And he wanted to be like best friends with everybody he met. How did he become a musician? So he was actually a street artist first. And then he met some, he fell in with some musicians in Chicago who basically put him in front of a keyboard. He just kind of went to town writing, writing song lyrics and putting it to music. And it was really, it was, you know, it, it was sort of the definitive outsider musician. He was never uh, classically trained, to say the least. Yeah. But uh, he, you know, he had a really good sense of humor. He was very witty and he kind of, he was very, like, it was like pure from the heart. And so people really responded because it was so funny and so out there and this kind of window into this really uh, strange mind, you know? He, you know, he, when did he pass? In like 2003, maybe? Uh, So the internet existed then, but it was pre YouTube. And he strikes me as someone that if he existed today with, uh, you know, what's going on today um, with sharing and, Facebook and Facebook. the MySpace. Yeah. Uh, he would be he could be so much more popular today because what he's doing is exactly what the internet loves and in that it's uh, there's no one else doing anything like it. It's extremely unique. For sure. But he first became uh, quite popular when Napster came around, actually. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, that might be where. I'm yeah. like saying might be like, ooh, I should admit that I use Napster yeah. to download Wesley Wilson. Uh-oh, Lars de- Ulrich might come. You but know? that is definitely yeah. uh, where I became familiar with him. Yeah, so, I mean, college kids with Napster in the late 90s is where he first became popular. And he had kind of a brief uh, flirtation with fame. He, um, you know, his songs were on MTV for a brief period. He was a guest on Howard Stern a couple times. And he was kind of known a little bit in the 90s, but can he's kind of like a blip on the radar, though. That's really cool though, that yeah. uh, you know what a, that you have. He has this song yeah, about you. They're not making them anymore. So. What was when did he tell you he was making one? Um, he just basically said, "I'm going to write a song about you." And then, like next time I see him, he has an album out with my song on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was pretty much as simple as that. Well, it must have been exciting though. It was. It was kind of the highlight. I was quite young, and it was uh, definitely one of the coolest things that had and still has ever happened to me. So we covered the Dangerous Water Park Action Park. We got Pinball. We got Wesley Wilson. Do you have any other nerdy areas of expertise we should cover? <laughs> Far too many. That's <laughs> the little pass on those for now, though. We will have to save those for another time. Thank you so much for uh, yeah. being on the show. Thanks again, man. Don't touch that dial. There's more Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show right after these messages. Baby, let me take you where the action is hot. Something for everyone at Action Park with 75 unique rides and attractions for both big shots and little tots. Action Park, there's nothing in the world like it. The action never stops at Action Park. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Uh, for those of you that haven't really been listening to the episode, I don't know, maybe you're on the elliptical, you're going in and out of it. I listen to other podcasts, I know how it goes. Uh, my favorite page on all of Wikipedia is the page for Action Park. And when I reread it, For this episode, I was very excited to learn that a previous Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show guest is actually quoted on the page. And as soon as I saw that, I knew I had to get him back on the show and ask him about his memories of the park. So please, a big Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin round of applause for Chris Gethard. How's it going, Jeff? Good. I I did that whole thing. I said, please welcome back. Like, there's a studio audience. It's just uh, you and I on the phone. Although... Right? That's what you're connecting in these people's ears, in these people's homes right now, in your iPods. I guess it's appropriate. That's a personal thing. Chris has written for Weird New Jersey and is the host of the hilarious public access show, The Chris Gethard Show, which we've talked about before on this show. It is amazing. Everyone should watch it. And on the Action Park Wikipedia page, he is quoted as saying, Action Park was a true rite of passage for any New Jerseyan of my generation. This is you. I'm quoting you now. Yeah, I said that. I'll stand by that. When I get to talking about it with other Jerseyans, we share stories as if we are veterans who served in combat together. I suspect that many of us may have come closest to death on some of those rides up in Vernon Valley. I consider it a true shame that future generations will never know the terror of proving their grit at New Jersey's most dangerous amusement park. I guess you wrote that in Weird New Jersey, is that correct? Yeah, Weird New Jersey... Um covered Action Park pretty extensively and, and I had been working them for working for them for a few years and had started bringing up like we really got like every kid my age has an Action Park story 
if we start promising stuff about it, the floodgates will open. And they, they really did. Um, it, it's true. Everybody who came of age in, like, the mid to late 70s, 80s, up to the early 90s, everyone in northern New Jersey has a story of something bad that happened to them at Action Park. So what is your story about Action Park? Well, first of all, to give a little context, you got to realize nobody's parents ever wanted them to go on an Action Park. Like, my parents preferred... They were like, no, we'll go to Six Flags Great Adventure. We'll go to Great Adventure. But you got to keep in mind, the stories about Great Adventure, like the story you hear about that, where like, oh, they got this roller coaster lightning loops where your neck snaps if you go on, if you like sit in the right seat, or like a girl got her head torn off. I feel like every amusement park has those urban legends, but at Action Park, those were real. Yeah, like our parents knew Six Flags had a bad reputation and all these urban legends, but they also knew Action Park was real, so... The first I ever heard of it was the I, I grew up in a neighborhood um, next to a Catholic church, and each year the church used to bring the altar boys to Action Park because it's very cheap. And these altar boys would come back and they'd be all messed up, man. One kid was like, all like scars and burns, and they'd all be talking about the Alpine Slide, which was the most infamous ride at Action Park. And um, one year this kid he came back and he had a broken ankle. And he said it was because he was on a train that carried you from one section of the park to the other. And the train was going over the highway. That's the other thing, Action Park, there was a highway that went through the middle of it. And uh, the train broke down over the highway and caught on fire, and everybody had to jump off onto the highway. <laughs> he broke his ankle jumping off this train onto a state highway. So that's Action Park. And then my parents, my brother went through the church. I was never an altar boy because it creeped me out. But when I was in, I believe it was the summer between 7th and 8th grade, these two friends of ours, the Raleigh brothers, they were going and they asked us if we wanted to go. And our parents were really hesitant, but I think they didn't want us to, like, miss out on this day with our friends who had invited us, which was very nice. So we went up, and it was everything that was advertised, man. It was really messed up, really, really poorly run. Even to my 7th grade eyes, I could tell, like, this was a lawless place. And it made me uncomfortable when I was a kid. Probably the story, I mean, first, some of the things I saw, first, first of all, I saw the infamous slide that went in a loop-de-loop that would not open. That was a horrifying sight. It must be interesting to see it, but it's not open, you know? Like, that's not even fun. Like, it's kind of like a, a testament to their failure. Exactly. And I remember it being right near the entrance. I remember it being one of the first things that you saw, like, that was something everybody had heard about and was like, that can't be real. And then you show up and walk in, and it's the first thing you see. Um, there's all sorts of stuff. And probably the, the, the experience I had that was probably most unexpected and terrifying was I went on this water slide, and I went on this one, and you go up to the top, and you're up at the top of the mountain, and you start going down this water slide, and it seems like a regular sort of slow-moving water slide. But you're going around with different curves and turns and stuff. And around the curve, I could hear just the person in front of me screaming in, in real true terror. Like, you know when someone's, like, screaming because they're having fun in the amusement park. And you know when someone's screaming because they are really, truly terrified. And I could hear that the person in front of me broke out into this horrific scream. And I came around the corner, this curve that they had come around, and I realized that this water slide, there had been no warning posted about this. It plunged you. They basically had, had, had bore a, tu a tunnel into the side of this mountain. So you go from thinking you're on this sort of tame, slow-moving water slide to being in complete darkness. And as soon as you get in the darkness, the thing drops like almost 90 degrees, and you're just plunging straight down in darkness through this hole. And I could hear people in front of me just screaming, like, no, 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 no like screaming, and it was, it was really just so scary. And then when you shoot out of the hole, again, there had been no signs or anything to warn you of this, you were probably like 20 feet in the sky, and you plunged 20 feet into the pool below, which is theoretically a fun ride if you know what's coming. But when they don't even bother to say, like, yeah, this looks like you're just going to, like, quietly coast down the side of the mountain until you come to a halt at the bottom... And instead, you were thrown into a cave where you careened, bouncing off the walls, hearing the screams of people before you, and then you emerged in the sky 
that's not something anybody signs up for. It's not cool to do, and it was really, really damaging to the psyche. I think they may still have that slide there. Have you been there since it became Mountain Creek? I've not been there since it was Mountain Creek, and initially I heard, I don't know what other people said, but the rumors I hear, I always heard that Mountain Creek is like much tamer and cleaned up. It is, but it's still fun. I think they do have that ride store. They have something very similar to it. And uh, it's definitely true that the end of it is not really visible from the beginning. And I think the drop catches a lot of people by surprise. And because that's one of the ones that's by the mountain, maybe it's fed by the mountain. It's uh, notably cold water that they drop you into. I also, oh, when I went, here's another good one. The Tarzan Swing was probably one of their more famous rides. Like in the commercial, the Tarzan Swing just looks so cool, man. It was just a pool of water and you swing on this giant swing up into the air and then plunge down into the water. And the, the 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 line for this thing was like over an hour long, and everybody is online watching everybody else. So it turns into the uh, the Tarzan swing turns turned into a contest of like who could do the craziest flip and get cheers from the audience, and then people who weren't athletic enough to do flips would like expose themselves. Because also everybody was completely drunk all the time. The Tarzan swing is still there, and uh, there is still a line. Maybe it's not an hour, but like. Uh, you are watching everyone go, and you really don't want to mess up, because when you mess up, everyone sees it. Yeah, and I went on it, I remember I went on it, and I got so scared, because um, I'd seen a couple people, like, wiped out before me, and I went down, and I didn't touch my knees, so my feet caught the water, and I hung on, even though it kind of, like, it, it put me through, like, a human torture rack type thing, where my feet caught, and my arms were being stretched. I was so scared to let go that I hung on, and when I reemerged without falling off, I got a big cheer, and I remember being very proud of that as a, as a young boy. Earlier in the episode, I described uh, my strongest action park memory, and it is a story that ends with me being very proud, and I think that gets to what you were saying on Wikipedia, that action park was very dangerous, but if you survived to tell the tale, uh, you really had a good story. Yeah, if you never went to action park, that, you were chump change, man. No one respected you. <laughs> I got another one. The other, the last thing I remember being like really dangerous from Action Park was I went on the Alpine slide, which was that was the most infamous one, at least in my neck of the woods. And um, the sled for those, generally, from what I could tell, I went on it a, a number of times. You took, you know, you took the ski lift up the mountain, you're given a sled and put on a stone track. And I went on a few times the thing. It seemed like every sled was either broken where the brake was locked in, so you could only trudge down the mountain or the brake didn't work at all, so you could fly down the mountain. And I went down the Alpine slide at one point and uh, had a sled that was going, like, supersonically fast, which was preferable. But I caught up. There was this guy on it with his kids in his lap, and I careened into them from behind because their sled was going so slow because the brake was locked in. I hit them from behind, and then we stopped. And I just picked my sled up and ran down the ski slope and jumped in front of them and got back on and rode away, which was super fun as a kid. But again, like, I can't imagine any modern amusement park that has any side where you can literally jump on and off at your own leisure, crashing into other people, and no one says a word about it. What was it like researching that? Did you talk to anyone that worked there? Yeah, we did. We would get a lot of... um, um emails from people who worked there. It was really it was it was it was really fun and funny to read and relive that and realize that like all the rumors about the place were true. But it was also really scary to realize how dangerous it was. Like we had guys who, you know, some of the letters I remember were people telling us um, like the whole code of the things you'd say in the walkie talkie and if I remember right, code violet meant there was a dead body that needed to be removed. So oh they had a code for the walkie talkie over like someone just died. You have to clear the way so you can get them out of there. So we had the the um, letters like that, which were really fun. But most of them really um, served by and large to verify everyone's suspicions. Like most of them were like, "Yeah, I worked there when I was 14. There wasn't a day I went to work where I wasn't completely wasted before I got to work, and I was the only lifeguard in the wave pool." Like you read stuff like that, it's like, "Oh my God, you were really." If you went to Action Park, you really were putting your life in your hands. It's, it's not even an exaggeration. It's not even me trying to, like, sell the fizzle for your podcast. You really were putting your life in your hands the second you bought a ticket to that place.
while I have you here, I really want to talk about what you're doing with Bonnaroo. Can you briefly describe your plans? Yes, I would love to. Basically, I do the Chris Gethard show. It's a part. It's a it's a public action show. You've been a guest on it a couple times. You can love it. It's love it. Very fun. Thank you. Also, it's a modest endeavor. It's a small scale thing, and we got invited to perform at the Bonnaroo Festival this year, which is a pretty big break for us. You know, it's a huge festival, and we're psyched to do it. And um, they asked us if we had any ideas to make it interesting and to sort of embrace the fact that, you know, Bonnaroo is built around the idea that it's a community. Our show, I think, has a very strong community around it. So we came up with this idea where I'm actually going to, instead of just going and doing the show at Bonnaroo and people come into the tent and watch the show and then they leave, which to me is a little boring, what we're going to do is I'm going to fly to Los Angeles with no money and no phone and just try to get there through the kindness of others. So people can email helpgethard at gmail.com. They can keep their eye on the hashtag BonnaroGethard on Twitter, see where I'm at. And if anybody's like, oh, man, like he's in my neck of the woods. I'd love to help him out. Give him a ride. Let him sleep on my couch for a few hours. Just help, help this thing along. We're kind of trying to build it as sort of like, let's rally all these different people to see if we can't accomplish this thing of getting across the country with no money and no real way to communicate with people. And, uh, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's a thing that could be very dangerous in certain ways, and I hope it's not. I hope I get to meet all sorts of fun people and do all sorts of fun things with them. But we'll see. We'll see. We've been getting a lot of funny, strange emails from people with offers of all sorts of odd stuff, and I'm psyched to get out there on the road and see if we can make it happen. So you are walking from L.A. to where is Bonnaroo? It's in Manchester, Tennessee. And when is this happening? It uh, starts on May 29th, and we have to get to the show by June 7th. Our show is on the first night of Bonnaroo, June 7th, and we'll see what happens. So that's pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. It's not. We have to average over 200 miles of progress per day if it's going to work. How much help are you looking at right now? We've gotten like 200 emails, which is really good. I'm really psyched about that. But the country's a very big place, so we need it anymore. So if you're listening, helpgethered at gmail.com. But the thing that's really exciting is that a lot of the emails have, haven't just been like, yeah, I'll help you out. They've been like, come to campus and I'll let you drive around town in my antique fire truck. Or like, you know, you can come and stay with me in Denver, but you have to watch my kids for me while I'm at work. Like, weird offers of stuff that, that sounds like it'll be pretty... Um, interesting, and, and we're making videos, we're filming videos of all things, so I think there'll be a lot of really pretty trippy stuff being posted online of, of, of the trouble we can get ourselves into, so if you're listening, the weirder the better, whatever you want to do, I'll come hang out, I'll come straight to you, to your house, to your town, and we'll do it up, we'll have a good time. I always wondered this about Man vs. Wild and that kind of thing, do the cameramen have money, are they going to be okay, do they get to go to hotels at night? Yeah, yeah. I ha- I'll have a five-person crew following me, and, and I'm anticipating like, there could be a very sad moment where if I haven't found a place to stay, they'll all check into a hotel, and I'll have to like sleep in the parking lot, which would be really so depressing, just so depressing. But um, for the sake of comedy and for the sake of this experiment, I'm, I'm happy to put myself through it. What are you going to do once you actually get to Bonnaroo? Because your show is so crazy and exciting and unpredictable that doing it at an outside music festival seems very exciting to me. Yeah, I mean, the venue it's in is it seats a ton of people. And, you know, we do. Like, we, we, we love going on the road. We've done, we've done shows all over the country. And we always like going big and really trying to make something that's super audience participatory. People are going to be able to win prizes, get up on stage with us get involved in these weird, bizarre, pretty violent stunts. Like, we've got a... The show we've got planned, if it goes well, it's going to be a, a spectacle and a blowout. And if it goes poorly, it's going to be such a disaster that it will be a very fun, watchable disaster. That sounds really fun. I'm going to watch it either way. That's like a win-win for me as a viewer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you'll be able to either cheer along with the victory or just completely cringe. The other Chris Gethard thing that has happened since I think the last time I had you on the show is your book came out. Oh, yeah. I was pretty psyched about that. Right? I don't think we talked about that when you were on the show. When did it come out? I don't think so. It came out in uh, mid-January. Yeah, so I think last time was before that. So I want to talk about that because that book was terrific. It's really good. I really loved it. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot. That's yeah. awesome. I it was great, man. 
Awesome. Uh, yeah, I feel good about it. What is the name of the book? The book is called A Bad Idea I'm About to Do. And, you know, basically it's just sort of about, you know, me being a Jersey kid with a chip on his shoulder who grew up getting into trouble and kind of had some emotional problems and, and anger issues I needed to get over and just sort of all the hopefully funny stories that, that, that came out of being that guy in that state of mind. Man, the book is great. And when you say, uh, you mentioned New Jersey in your brief description of the book, and New Jersey's, uh, I think you, it's one of the best literary depictions of New Jersey I've ever seen. And when I say New Jersey, I don't necessarily mean the space, I mean New Jersey in the sense of like Action Park, you know, the, uh, the tone of it. That means a lot, because I, I feel like I am very, very much cut from that New Jersey call. Yeah. And that's, that's high praise in my book. So Chris Gethard putting out a lot of great Chris Gethard product that you guys should be consuming. The book, help them get to Bonnaroo, watch uh, the public access show. Where can they get that? TheChrisGethardShow.com. You can watch it anywhere in the world. Uh, Bean's out in New York City, but we, we put it all online. And you can uh, if you don't want to watch it live, all of the episodes are available for download on iTunes. And we talked about that show, and if so if you didn't hear it, check it out in episode 20, I believe, of uh, this podcast. Chris, thank you for coming back, sharing your memories of Action Park with us. Oh, please, thank you. I'm glad that I have someplace to vent them, and they don't have to just remain hidden in my damaged psyche forever. That is it for this week's Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Thank you again to both of my guests, Seth Porges and Chris Gethard. Another round of applause. Uh, if you missed it at the College Humor All-Nighter last week, I did an episode of Bleep Bloop. Bleep Bloop is the video games talk show that I used to do for College Humor. Haven't done one in a while. It's been about a year and a half. Well, we did a new one last week, and it features many of your Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show favorites. I'm talking people like Pat Castles. I'm talking people like John Gabris. I'm talking people like Dan Klein. And you're probably saying, wait a second, Dan Klein, he's never been on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show. Oh, yeah? Well, Dan Klein had a small vocal cameo in the very episode of this podcast you are finishing listening to right now. If I keep yelling at you, you will probably just stop listening to it. But I have just a few more things to say. While we're talking about John Gabris, he is coming back to the show. I'm thinking this is going to be next week to discuss season two of Game of Thrones. We have not recorded it yet. We are waiting for the season finale to air, but I am very excited about that. And based on how many of you ask if Gabris will be back to do exactly what we're going to do, I'm guessing a few of you are excited too. I'll remind you when that's up if, guess what, you follow me on Twitter where I am at Jeff Rubin Show, on Tumblr at Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin dot com, uh, my Facebook fan page, or at YouTube.com slash Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin. I'll talk to you guys next week. 